Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Warning. The following podcast contains graphic content and material intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Grim. What's up, guys? My name's Ben. And I'm Nicole. And yeah, this is a true crime podcast. It's wicked and grim. Mm-hmm. Doesn't get better. Right? What really doesn't get better? Do you want to know? Do you want to know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In like two weeks or something like that? <gasps> one year motherfucking anniversary. Oh my goodness. Like, holy shit. Yeah. We've been podcasting for almost a year. That's crazy town. Crazy. Well, I had uh, on my Facebook, just like a personal, like, you know, like a reminder thing like oh this time last year sort anniversary of thing. thing yeah um i had the uh the logo for wicked and grim pop up oh. on facebook because i was all like look at what we're doing i made this thing and then yeah i was like oh fuck <laughs> and we would have never in our wildest dreams expected it to be this like at this point right now yeah the support no you guys are giving us is re- fucking ridiculous i'm sorry i'm swearing a lot right now but like it's you just can't handle I it. I can't handle it. You it's can't do it's it. how I'm getting my emotions across because our minds are blown, guys. Yeah. Thank you so much for all the support. We got some really cool stuff coming down the pipe for one year anniversary. So watch out for that. We're going to plan some cool shit. We are. You got to celebrate. There's not much to celebrate these celebrate days. So you got to celebrate. Celebrate one year podcast. Mm-hmm. Like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're going to, are we not talking about anything that we're going to do? Not dropping um, any hints? Sure. I mean, if you want to, sure. We haven't decided, have we? No, we're kind of tossing around ideas, but there's probably going to be a giveaway of sorts. Yep. We're probably going to do a live stream of and sorts. Our first ever live stream. Some sort of live Q&A, possibly. Yeah. Something like that. So, yeah, gonna, look out for do that. some fun things. If you guys have requests or suggestions on what we could do, we'd love to hear it. Oh, absolutely. Not saying we will do it for sure, but we're definitely open to those suggestions. Mm-hmm. So, hit us up. Let us know what you want to see or hear. For our one year anniversary of the podcast. Of Wicked and Grim. Yeah. Wow. One wicked year. Hey. <laughs> oh, shit. That'd be a cool fucking thing. Hey? That's actually really cool. One wicked year. You oh, just came up with that on the top of your head. Wow. Well done. Look at me. I deserve a pat on the back. You do. Yeah. Maybe that's what happens when you're not drinking beer. Maybe. You have good ideas. I got to present today, so <laughs> I, I need to not have consumption of alcohol consistently throughout me listening. I got to actually speak words. I'm drinking a peach cider that's actually made in Kamloops, BC, and it's freaking delish. Nice. I'm drinking water. Good for you. Good old H2O. Good for but you. But because I'm a child, I'm drinking it through a straw. Yeah, you love straws. <laughs> straws are the shit. <laughs> um, we got to thank some Patreons. Mm-hmm. Some we got our Patreon some more. supporters. 
Uh, who do we got? You're, you're I'm, thanking them today. I'm going to thank them, yeah. So Let's we hear got uh, Beth Sanchez. Love that last name. That's yeah. Dope. Wendy Moon. Roxanne. Roxanne. Annie Winter. And Caitlin Black. You guys are absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for signing up for Patreon and Thank supporting you. us. Oh, it's just a, it's an amazing way to support us. Like it just warms my heart. Well, and being able to actually communicate with our patrons over on Patreon mm-hmm. is pretty cool too. So. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. That one. If I have time to answer comments, I'm going to go on there before anything else. Oh, hundred percent. So. So they yes. get our top priority because they're just that awesome and support us. Not There's... that you guys out there who aren't on Patreon aren't awesome. You hundred percent are. So don't think that we don't think otherwise we just think everyone's awesome hell yeah yeah um especially (gasps) our badass of the day oh my goodness this is so exciting so if you remember a couple episodes back we were all like um whoever goes out and purchases one of our blankets for our merch blanket and sends us a photo the first person to do so is our official badass of the day. Mm-hmm. So, and we got one. We had someone send us a photo of them with their Wicked and Grim blanket, and they are our official badass of the day going out to Megan Dalin or Dalin. I'm sorry mm-hmm. if I pronounced your name wrong, but Megan, you are awesome. The photo of that is going to go up on Facebook and Instagram because you are just that. Oh my gosh. Ass. Yeah. Well, she beat me to it. I was going to buy a blanket so I could be the badass of the day. She was on it. She was on it. So, so she you deserves it. Are the badass of the day? Absolutely. What else we got? What do we, what do we got to talk about? Anything else? Oh goodness, we had one other thing, um, and that is that we have officially switched over from Anchor to Acast. Yes, it took us a while because it did take our, us a bit of time. Our daily life is just so busy, so that there were some hiccups, and it took us a long time to work out those hiccups. But we've got it figured out. So what that means mm-hmm. is that we're going to be available on a few more platforms out there to listen on to. So we're still available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, all that sort of stuff. Sweet. We're crossing our fingers to make sure that the transition is smooth. Yeah. Because when we upload this episode, there's a small chance that it doesn't upload to Spotify and all that stuff right away. If it doesn't, we're going to be on it. We're going to fix it. Yeah, it will get fixed for um, sure. But we're going to be on a few more new platforms and we are going to be starting some advertisements so in that way we can get a little bit of money coming in from from doing these because we put a lot and a lot of effort into these and it'd be amazing if we could one day chase it and do this full time oh my gosh that's like the dream that would be the dream that would 110 percent be the dream um but then yeah if you are a patron though you, yeah. we post them we'll post them on their ads free so if ads like doesn't float your boat yeah. then you could become a patron boom and mm-hmm. just like that yeah, that's exciting stuff, though. It is. And I, I think what was our last episode, 60th episodes, we've done 60 ad-free episodes wow. so far. Which is actually pretty dope. It is. Yeah. So. Um. Honestly, I don't know. I'm just like so excited that at this point we're like a year in and we're already have like, I don't know, signed with a network and stuff like that is. It's incredible. Wow. <laughs> and we have nothing but you guys to thank oh, for it. So yeah. thank you so much. We would not be here without you. So. You guys are wicked. Wickedly awesome. And you made our first year one wicked year. I, I love that. <laughs> you I do. I love that. That is dope. And I just realized you're wearing a Jacko shirt. Well done. Yeah, I am. Woohoo. I did not get the dress code for you're, today. You're wearing a Cinderella <laughs> shirt. Yeah, that says I'm on my way and I'm in bed. Yeah. <laughs> Glorious. <laughs> Very me. representative of who we are, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you ready to buckle down and talk about today's episode? I am. I'm pretty pumped for this one, actually, because so, I don't know a lot about it. Our patrons got a heads up on what this one was. 
And then, of course, we did the clue over on Instagram and Facebook. Some of you guys got it right over there. Um, and of course, thank you to the patrons for not not uh, letting the cat out of the bag oh, and keeping yeah. it secret. You guys are awesome for that. I never even thought that they, yeah, they don't. But, well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the Black Dahlia, the Woo! infamous Black Dahlia. And for anyone out there listening, this is going to be a two-parter. So if you really want to listen to it all in one part, maybe wait for the second part to come out. But this is a doozy. There is like no way this can be done in one episode because yeah. there is a lot to go through. Yeah, you've been spending a lot of time on this case, that's for sure. Yeah. So let's buckle down and let's get right into it. You ready? I'm totally ready. I'm pumped. Okay, so it all started at around 10 a.m. on January 15th. 1947 a woman by the name of betty bersinger was walking and pushing her young daughter in a stroller while she was on her way to a cobbler to have shoes repaired as they stroll down the sidewalk in the 3800 block of norton street in Leimert park los angeles she caught a glimpse of what appeared to be a broken department store mannequin lying in the weeds on the side of the street the top half had been separated from the lower half and as she approached the mannequin, the woman quickly realized that the dull white plaster mannequin was actually the pale, lifeless skin of a nude woman whose body had been mutilated. The woman quickly went to, a nearest, to the nearest home to call and contact authorities who arrived on the scene to begin the investigation. And this is where the story of the Black Dahlia begins. Wow. So you, that, okay, that's just like so innocent that you just like think that it's a mannequin. Yeah. And then as you approach that it's like a fucking human. Yeah. It <laughs> Holy was shit. Definitely not a mannequin. So you don't know much about this case. What do you know about this case? That. That's it? <laughs> yes. Really? Wow. I know. I don't know how I've lived this long. Okay. Okay. Well, you're about to learn a lot more because yeah. this, this goes deep. So the woman's body lay on the grass. In an odd fashion. She was, of course, nude, as I had mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, her lower half being cut from her top half at Jeez, the waist. Jeez. Her top half laid about a foot uh, away from her bottoms with her arms extended above her head, bent almost in like a, a flexing muscle type pose. But she wasn't clearly wasn't flexing. Right. But okay. just kind of like in that arms up pose. Okay. She had obvious signs of other mutilation, including one of the most notable, her mouth. She had lacerations extending from the corner of her mouth going upwards to her ears, approximately three inches long on each side, an injury which is also known as the Glasgow smile. Good Lord. Okay. Because like whoever did this to her, mm -hmm. like there was some serious, like either the person was completely psychotic or just like hated her with a fiery passion. Yeah. Because that's intense. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of theories about that. So... Wow. Yeah. And actually, well, kind of what you said there starts one of their, uh, the authorities, what they go looking for and what they say, okay, here's like the description of who we're looking for sort of thing. That's kind of along the same lines. Like, okay, someone didn't like her. Someone knew her and didn't like her and did this specifically targeted to her. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what they were set out looking for in their, their prime suspect. Uh, but the case quickly garnished notoriety within news sources and was as per many other cases around the world, you know, given a nickname. And this unknown victim was dubbed the Black Dahlia. Now, there are mixed reports on how the name actually came into existence, but one of the more notifiable ones says it was from a, 
from the the staff and patrons at a Long Beach drugstore in the mid-1946, as the wordplay of the film had just been released called The the Blue Dahlia. Sorry. So it's kind of playing off that. Oh, okay. Some of the other origins make mention of her black hair, her clothes that she wore, um, and even the idea of her adorning a Dahlia flower in her hair. Uh, Many of these were actual references to more personal things about the woman, uh, personal things that they would find out once authorities actually identified who she was. Did she have a flower in her hair, sorry, at the time? Or Uh, No, not at the time, but it's just... just was part of who she kind of was. Reportedly a part of who she was. I couldn't ever find any reports on her ever actually wearing a dahlia in her hair or a flower in her hair. Um, But apparently... Okay. I'm sure maybe she wore a flower in her hair once or twice or something, but whether it was a thing, I could not find that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so they did actually manage to identify who she was after shortly opening the case, which is good. The Black Dahlia turned out to be the woman by the name of Elizabeth Short, and they were able to identify her via fingerprints. It may have been a harder time figuring out who she was actually if it wasn't for a prior incident where she was actually arrested for underage drinking. Oh, wow. So she had her fingerprints on file and luckily enough, they were able to get a match pretty quick. Yeah. If it wasn't for that, it would have taken much longer. Yeah. Well, I'm sure family might've identified her sort of soon enough or whatever, but missing reports sort of thing. Right. Hmm. But needless to say, it was a quick process. They managed to identify her fast. Now we're going to go back a little bit here and we're going to start talking about Elizabeth's backstory and who she was. Good. So Elizabeth was born in July 29th, 1924 in Boston, Massachusetts, the third of five daughters. Her parents were father Cleo Short and mother Phoebe Sawyer. In 1927, the Short family briefly relocated to Portland, Maine before settling in Medford, Massachusetts. Cleo had built a miniature, had built miniature golf courses I was going to say oh, a wow. miniature golf course. That's super fun. Right? That'd be a dope job. Yeah. Like that's their her dad? Yeah. That is so fun. <laughs> I know. I want that job. No kidding. Just being like, yeah, I'm just going to go build another course today and be like, have a hole in one. Uh-huh. Or I have to test this shit. Like that's yeah. like the best. Darn. You know, we got a quality test this course today. Shucks. <laughs> Love that. Uh, so anyways... He built these miniature golf courses until, unfortunately, he lost his savings in the historical 1929 stock market crash. Oh, dang. And then in the 1930s, his car was found sitting on the Charleston Bridge. (gasps) It seemed like many other people during the stock market crash, just like them before, Cleo had lost too much and took his own life by leaping off the bridge into the Charles River. Dang. That's really fucking sad. Yeah. So they only Holy found his shit. car sitting there, unfortunately. Dang. But life goes on, right? Mm-hmm. Does. Unfortunately. So Elizabeth's mother, Phoebe, began working as a bookkeeper to support the family, which wasn't easy as a single parent of five. I can't imagine having five daughters running around home and trying to support and look after them all on my own. Whether it's monetary or not, just emotionally having the capability of caring for five young kids. Holy. Holy fuck. The poor thing. Yeah. She must have been exhausted. Yeah. That makes I, me want to refill my drink. I I get exhausted with our two dogs at times. Uh-huh. I get exhausted with you at times. Wow. Love you too. Thanks. I do love you, but man, you exhausting sometimes. I'm sure I'm exhausting at times too. So. Holy shit. Are you ever are you pouring another drink? Yeah, I already feel like I need more alcohol. 
just because I said you're exhausting. I don't know. This is just an exhausting conversation. I need well, booze. it's an exhausting case. So <laughs> uh, in some years later, Elizabeth underwent lung surgery at the age of 15 due to bronchitis and severe asthma. Holy man. After which doctors suggested that she relocate to at least spend more time in a milder climate. So whether it was permanent or temporary, they suggested she spend more time somewhere warmer. Can someone suggest that to me? Right? Please? Be like, uh, you got a bad case of needing to go to Mexico and drink tequila. Or needing to just move to like Hawaii, somewhere a lot of freaking warmer yeah. than this. Doctor's orders! <laughs> I'd be like, peace! <laughs> no kidding. <sighs> well, I mean, she at least had a medical reason. I know, so. I just... Yeah, yeah. No. It I, was it was to prevent further respiratory problems. We're in the thick of winter, and that just sounds real nice to me right now. Yeah, that would just be for us to further prevent our face hurting from the air. Mm -hmm. yeah. There you go, and our toes from freezing off as we walk. Mm -hmm. Anyways, Elizabeth would spend winters in Miami, Florida, with family and friends over the next three years, okay. as per doctor's orders. Nice. As time moved on, the family had adapted. And it was in the late 1940s when a letter arrived to Phoebe. It was from Cleo. What? Okay, I'm like shocked. It was an apology letter where he revealed that he was in fact alive and started a new life in California. What the shit? He faked his own death. <laughs> okay i was not expecting that actually when he first told me that like he jumped i was like oh like maybe that he'll come back but like then i was like no what how long had this been sorry between true um, that would have been like eight nine years something Whoa. like that because when he left elizabeth was i believe six and she was like Oh, she would have been older. She would have been about 18 when he came back. So longer, like 12 Holy years. Holy shit. So what the fuck was in this note? It must, it better have been real good. Because that's bad. That's bad. You, you think? <laughs> well, it didn't sit well with the family. Cleo wasn't much no of a shit. father or husband to any of them while he was around. And just running away like that, it didn't make them think much more of him. So an apology letter and a second chance wasn't necessarily on the forefront of anyone's mind when they received this letter. Mm -hmm. That is, except Elizabeth. Oh, she's a good person. She was eager to go spend time with her dad and learn who he was and get over it all. Seriously? Yeah. Holy, that shows a lot of her character. So that December at age 18, Elizabeth moved to California to live with her father whom she had not seen until since he left when she was six. Now, it was a romanticized reunion a bit. You know, it's very lust, you know, of like my father's back in my life. He wants to yeah. see me, all this sort of stuff. And the following year, um, arguments between the two of them led her to actually move out on January 1943. Okay, so, so it didn't last very long. It didn't last very long. And I'm not too sure if he was like out of the picture permanently again or if they fought terribly. I just... She was there for about a year and arguments caused her to move out. That's about the extent that I could find. Okay. So, and, and it's not really a lot of important information, but it's just kind of building up who Elizabeth um, became and who she was and what her backstory is. So it's a little bit important to understand, but. Well, I honestly think that's super impressive. Yeah. No kidding. Because I'm pretty sure I'd have been like, yeah, bye. Yeah. Well, it shows right there that she's a super trusting person, right? And super nice. Yeah. Super forgiving. Yeah. 
So she was now on her own though, uh, when she moved to Santa Barbara, it was there where she was arrested on September 23rd, 1943 for drinking at a local bar while underage. Uh, now the juvenile authority sent her back to Massachusetts, but instead she went back to Florida, making only occasional visits to visit her family in Massachusetts. So, okay. so while spending her days in Florida, Elizabeth met Major Matthew Michael Gordon Jr. He was a decorated Army Air Force officer of the Second Air Commando Group, who was training for deployment in World War II. They quickly fell in love and spent some time together. Spent as much time as they could together, in fact. Even while away, they would send letters back and forth in ways that I could only imagine would be like the most stereotypical, amazing love letters, like uh, through a war. That's just saying. literally what went through my mind. Right. Those love letters. I want to read one. Exactly. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure those are kept uh, fairly personal. I'm sure we could, if we really dug, we might be able to find them, but. They should probably be kept that way, though. Exactly. Uh, Gordon was held up at hospital at one point, actually, from a plane crash, uh, and it made their letter writing all the more abundant. Elizabeth later told friends that Gordon had written a letter and promised to propose to her once he recovered and returned home. Aww. However, Gordon would never make it home for the proposal. He died in a second plane crash on August 10th, oh. 1945, less than a week before the end of the war. No. I know, right? Why? I don't know. She got in a plane crash and Dang. that's all she wrote, unfortunately. Because uh, I feel like this whole story would probably have been different if that didn't happen. Am I right? It could have been. It Very much been. so. Very much so. Dang. Fate has a funny way of uh, doing some fickle things to our lives. But I just feel like Elizabeth deserved better karma than that. Not that it's karma, but it's just like she's a good person. Yeah. Let her have the love of her life. Well, she unfortunately didn't have this one. Maybe there was another to be the love of her life. We don't okay, know. Okay, let's find out. Well, after that, she spent most of her time in L.A., where she got an apartment behind a nightclub of one of the... Uh, on, sorry, on the famous Hollywood Boulevard. She worked as a waitress and apparently had begun to dream of being a film star. Now, reports may say that she was an aspiring actress. They cannot be confirmed. I want to just clarify that now. Okay. Um, it's merely hearsay that she was wanting to be an actress. She had no actual acting jobs or credits or anything to help confirm it. It's very likely that she was. It's not far-fetched that a young woman living in the in that the, the area. lights of Hollywood would yeah. dream of a career, right? So not at all. It's more than likely, but there are no confirmations of it. Uh, now, where did I leave off here? Uh, do, 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 do. Okay. Yes. Now, whether she did dream of it or not, in a roundabout way, she would actually get her stardom as Elizabeth would become the infamous Black Dahlia. So. Oh, I hate that. I thought you were going to say, oh, something happened cool to her prior to, but. Okay. Nope. Whether she was looking for stardom or not, she did get it in the end. So. How old was she when she died? Have you mentioned that story? Uh, you know, I'm not too sure the exact age. I think she would have been, I talk about it later on, I think 22. Oh, okay. So not old at all. No. Dang it. So I already hate this story. <laughs> it's not a fun story. Okay. Okay. So we are back now. That's the history of, of the Black Dahlia. 
or Elizabeth Short. And now okay. we're back to uh, to where she was found. And when she was found at first, the news media has referred to the case as, quote unquote, werewolf murder because of how the body was mutilated. Mm -hmm. But soon newspapers would dub Elizabeth the Black Dahlia. The mutilation of her body was far more than just being severed or cut with some slices in her cheeks. Uh, there are mu multiple lacerations of her mid forehead on the right side of her forehead and the top of the head in the midline. There are multiple tiny abrasions and lacerations all over. Her body is completely severed, not by a cut or a hack, but by a clean surgical like incision, which is almost straight through the abdomen. So, And that means that someone like a professional would have done that? Pretty much someone who knew what they were doing because it, it's showing like there's no signs of hacking at the bone. There's no chips out of the bone in her spine. It's precisely cut wow. correctly through the tissue in a manner to not cause damage. Like not many people would be able to do that. Correct. Someone who knew what they were doing did that. Gosh. How they knew what they were doing is up for question and debate. But someone Touché. did know what they were doing. Because there's question of maybe a butcher or maybe right. a surgeon, you know? Yeah, I went to surgeon, but I guess it could be someone else, a yeah. butcher too, for sure. So, thank Dexter, right? <laughs> I mean, oh. he was no surgeon, but he certainly knew he what he was, was doing. He was skilled. Yeah. Man, I love that man. <laughs> I know, man, why, I love that man. Why do we love him? But he's just awesome. I know, he's pretty cool. Uh, so moving on, there are multiple crisscross lacerations in the pubic area, which extend through the skin and soft tissue. There were ligature marks on her ankles, wrists, and neck, and an irregular laceration with superficial tissue loss on her right breast. There are lacerations on the intestines and kidneys. The uterus shows no sign of pregnancy, but the tubes, ovaries, and cul-de-sac, whatever that is, I didn't Google it because... This is enough to take in as it is, mm -hmm. but they were intact. Uh, within the vagina and higher up, there is lying a loose piece of skin with fat and tissue attached. On this piece of loose skin, there is several crisscrossing lacerations as well. Now, smears have been taken, been taken both in both cavities, the vaginal and anal, um, as her anal cavity is marked, dilated, and opening two measures of one and a quarter inches in diameter, multiple abrasions, it, uh, not, Good Lord. not pretty. Uh, the stomach is filled with a greenish brown granular matter, mostly fecal um, and some other unidentified um, things as well. Um, all smears that were taken for sperm came back negative. Uh, it appears as though many of the lacerations including the dilation of the anal opening were all done after death. That's a lot of shit. That's a lot to take in. Wow. A like, lot to take in. That's just a lot done to this poor girl. Yes. Wow. Okay. Still absorbing that. And I wish I wasn't. Well, we're not quite done. Oh, okay. I definitely thought that was the end. Nope. We're not quite done. Okay. Okay. So she had clearly been posed in a strange and deliberate manner, like I had said, uh, with her legs spread, oh. her torso separated, arms above her head. And as I had mentioned, she was found nude. Finally, with all this, there was 
No blood to be found. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh, so she was put there. Oh, yeah, she was put there. Which I guess that makes sense. Her pale white skin and lack of blood shows that her blood had been drained prior to being put there. And she had been carefully washed oh. before being placed in the grass to be found. Okay, that's really disturbing. Yeah. I hate that. Like when people clean up the body. I don't know. Like that's just really disturbing. Okay. Well, why do you, what about that do you specifically hate? Why is that disturbing? I don't know. Because it just like makes it a lot more like personal, personal in a sense. It does. It really does. Because it's just like. I don't know what, like it was so thought through really. And like they needed to clean up their mess and like, I don't know. It's just so personal. For me, it shows that they're not done with this person. Killing them isn't enough. They have to do more. Yeah. And whatever that more is, I can't wrap my brain around. So I, it's a really scary thing because I can, I personally don't get it, but I can understand someone just getting overcome with rage and killing or something not Mm -hmm. that it's cool but Mm -hmm. i can get that that happens i don't get the extent of afterwards yeah because you would think after the act like there's that cool down or something and it takes cool down to do these sort of meticulous things like clean a body so now you don't just have a raged person killing you have a calm person handling someone's body that's so disturbing right oh my goodness yeah that's what gets to me just had like uh, like our case prior to this was all that yep so disturbing yep okay so the marks found on elizabeth's body suggested that she had been bound tortured and her official cause of death was cerebral hemorrhaging and shock which would have been caused by blows to the head Really? Yes. Oh my goodness. I thought it was going to be strangulation, which is no better really, but I don't know. Just hitting no. someone in the head like till they die is horrific. Yeah. She was bludgeoned or beat one of the two. Hmm. So that's not cool. So like I'm like certain that this person really knew her well. You think so? I think so. Well, Unless there was a lot of other surgically cut bodies found and it was a freaking serial killer on the loose but i don't think that's the case there's a theory kind of along that line but the surgical part doesn't really fall in okay so anyways we'll touch on that later well this would just be like a super mo i'm just saying yes Uh, so the los angeles police department estimated that since the murder They have received, and I mean, like up to this day, like since then to now, they have received over 500 fame seekers falsely confessing to the grisly murders of Elizabeth. Oh, that's just pathetic. It is. There was a waiter who phoned the police saying that he, his guilty conscience forced him to confess. 
A couple of hours later, a woman claimed Elizabeth stole her man, so she killed her in retaliation. Then there was an army corporal who swore he chopped her up with a cleaver. The only problem was he was in New Jersey at the time of the murder, and there was no cleaver involved in the killing, so... Okay. Uh, all people who, for whatever reason, wanting their names attached to a horrific crime and being known as the one responsible of the Black Dolly murder, basically. Like, I... So... That is another thing I cannot comprehend. That's fucked up. That happens in so many cases. Like, I don't yeah. understand why people would want to be associated with that. Like, right? is their life that, like, boring that they feel like they need to excite it by this? I don't know. They're... they're for whatever reason they need that notoriety or they want it or i don't get it i don't get that i really don't get that i can understand like someone maybe having some mental health issues yeah something like that that. i could get that but just being like you know what i want to take that credit that's fucking not cool that's super weird and just like the amount of resources it wastes and time and stuff is ridiculous well 500 yeah false and they had to look into those, right? Oh, yeah. Every so, single one. Yeah. So authorities believe that the real killer must have been known to Elizabeth. They must have known her, just like you say. I completely agree with that. Um, they figured that they must have had some sort of mo- emotional attachment to her and somehow the horrific violence inflicted upon her and her body and leaving her in public was a dis- uh, on public display, sorry, mm-hmm. would indicate that the killer wanted the world to see Elizabeth and potentially her wrongdoings uh, for what she had done to this person. So they believe that it's kind of a way of this person being like putting her on display and being like, look at this bitch. Look what she did to me. She deserved this. I sort can't of imagine attitude. what you would possibly do to deserve something like that i don't think you can do anything to deserve something like that there's no way unless you are out there like mass murdering other people but not that you deserve that but you know what i mean i know that's horrific so the killer was assumed and described as a white male in his late 20s or older with a high school education he lives alone works with his hands and is comfortable with knives and blood possibly a butcher or slaughterhouse worker, potentially even a doctor. Because that would be a lot of blood that you would be dealing with. Oh, yeah. Like, that's disgusting. Well, oh. it says right here, too, with a, a high school education. So you're talking about people in the 40s. So high school education, that's a well-educated individual. Right. Okay. So they are looking for someone well-educated. Okay. Now, on January 22nd, exactly one week after discovering Elizabeth's body, a man called the editor of the Los Angeles Examiner. He called James Richardson and made a very bold claim. The caller never gave a name, but he told Richardson he was the one responsible for Elizabeth's death. He stated he planned on eventually turning himself in, but not before allowing police to pursue him further. I did manage to find some quotes from said call and it goes like this. I will send you some of the things she had with her when she, shall we say, disappeared. Expect some of the souvenirs Beth Short, or sorry, expect some souvenirs of Beth Short in the mail. Weird. Now, this is like a game. Take note of this here because this is um, potentially 
a piece of evidence specifically within this. Okay. Um, calling Elizabeth Beth. Oh my goodness. Okay. So that's what this person called her. That's what this person called her. That's quote. So that Beth, some people rely on that for their theories later on, at least for one case that I've looked into. Well, that to me, like, I think like family, friend, like really good friend or like significant other. So, yeah. Anyways, that aside, just keep that in your mind. Okay. It was three days later when the caller kept his word and a mysterious manila envelope showed up to the address to the Los Angeles Examiner and other Los Angeles papers. Sorry, showed up to the address and a showed up addressed to, that's what I meant to say, showed up addressed to the Los Angeles Examiner and other Los Angeles reporters. There we go. That took way too much effort to get out, but I got <laughs> you, it. You did good. You I did done good. did do it. <laughs> The envelope and its contents had been smeared in gasoline to remove any evidence of fingerprints that might remain. Even with gasoline, though, they were able to recover some fingerprints and quickly sent them off to try and find a match. However, there's always a fucking however. However, goddamn. However, the prints were compromised in transit, thus they could not properly be analyzed. What the frig? Okay. Okay. So I just have to say two things. It's so interesting that this person would not be wearing gloves. Or but was fingerprints like not a huge deal back then? Fingerprints was the main source of convicting back then for sure. And then it just, I don't know. I always think like cases this old, how interesting it would be if it happened nowadays, like with the technology and stuff oh, yeah. we had, right? Yeah, no kidding. Like, oh, I just always think that's so sad. So inside the envelope though, was a note attached to the contents. The note had been written in letters that were cut from newspapers and articles and then pasted in for the writing. It read, here is the Dahlia's belongings, letter to follow. The package contained newspaper clippings about the recent death of Mayor Matthew Gordon, photographs, her birth certificate, a bus station check-in stub, and address book. The address book bore the name Mark Hansen on the cover and drew most of the attention. Police had actually already questioned Mark a week prior during routine inquiries. Mark was a wealthy local nightclub and theater owner, and Elizabeth had previously lived at Mark's home for a while while she shared a room with his then girlfriend, an actress named Ann Toth. Hmm. You following along so far? I am. Yeah, this is all very interesting. It's like I say, this goes deep. Mm-hmm. Now, under questioning, Mark admitted to knowing Elizabeth, but stated he had never been romantically involved with her and had no information about her disappearance. He did state that Elizabeth had taken the address book from him, although he had never used it himself. Nothing was ever found to link Mark Hansen to the murder of Elizabeth and was soon released. I wonder why she would take the notebook. That's interesting. She needed an address book. He had one he wasn't using, so she yoinked it. Oh, okay. I was envisioning that it was like an address book filled with like his contacts and stuff. No, he he specifically said that it was, uh, let me see where it is. He stated that Elizabeth had taken the address book from him, although he had never used it himself. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense then. Yeah. Blank address book he'd never used, so she just. Okay. He had no problem with it. Makes sense. Whatever. Now, on January 26th, another letter had come in. This time handwritten which read here it is turning in wednesday january 29th 10 a.m 
had my fun at police, Black Dahlia Avenger. Jeez, I don't like this person. What a piece of shit. Oh, this person is a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Now there are, I'm going to throw this out there just to keep you in the loop on this. There are some speculation of whether um, the letters are completely valid. I mean, clearly one having evidence of her is, but um, authorities definitely receive more letters, false letters. So who's to say that this one couldn't be a false letter too, right? Yeah. It could so, honestly just be someone having fun too. So people whether, seem to like to waste other people's time. Yeah. They were, I mean, they were, they're pretty confident. They were able to distinguish the fake ones from the real ones. Oh, okay. So, but I mean, there is a chance. I just mm-hmm. wanted to throw that in there. Right. So the letter also named a place, a specific location at which the supposed killer would turn themselves in. Police waited patiently at the given location on the morning of January 29th as described, but the alleged killer did not appear. Instead, at 1 p.m., another cut-and-paste letter which read, Have changed my mind. You would not give me a square deal. Dahlia killing was justified. And the murderer was still on the loose. Now, there are... There are some more letters that the police did receive that are verified, um, like, by the killer. Sorry. Okay. Not verified yep. by the killer, but, like, considered authentic. There we go. Right. Yeah. Um, I think there was about, like, eight or ten that they received. Um, and in one of them, he was actually requesting, like, you know, if I turn myself in, you guys can only give me, like, ten years. How's that as a deal sort of thing? Oh, gosh. So... Definitely deserves way more than 10 years because this is crazy what he did. Yeah. So police were like clearly not taking that and he didn't take the likely to that. So he didn't turn himself they in basically. Lied. They should have. Uh, newspapers began linking other murders to the Black Dahlia case. Many thought the so-called lipstick murder was connected since a badly beaten female body was found with a bizarre message scrawled on the victim's stomach in red lipstick that read, fuck you, BD. It was assumed that the BD stood for Black Dahlia. That, however, is a whole nother story in case. Okay, sorry, sorry. She she didn't, like Elizabeth Beth, didn't have lipstick on her. No. Another murder had that on them. Yes. Oh, okay, interesting. So that woman's body was also brutally mutilated. Okay. Um, though, as far as I have looked into that case, I haven't looked into it very deep yet. But as far as I have looked into, not with the precision of this one, mm-hmm. not as clean as this one, but it did have fuck you BD in the lipstick and that BD assuming to stand for Black Dahlia. So that's why some people believe that this would be linked. Interesting. But like I said, that's a whole nother story of a man by the name of William George Hearns, uh, who actually confessed to the crime under Unfortunately, police torture and was subsequently and controversially convicted of the three murders for the uh, lipstick murders in 1946. So some people still believe that they could be linked and they got the wrong guy because, I mean, torture confession ain't really that accurate. Like, okay, so he's linked or he got convicted for the lipstick murders and Elizabeth's? No, just the lipstick murders. Oh, okay, but he confessed to them under police torture, to the yes. lipstick ones. Yeah, oh, okay. so that's a whole other story, though. Right. But some people believe that whoever killed Elizabeth and is responsible for the Black Dahlia murder is also responsible to that, and they believe that that fuck you BD is proof and the link of that. And they believe that the person they have is potentially not the right person. Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. 
Or, I mean, maybe there's some that potentially think that he was responsible for Elizabeth, too. I don't right. know. That, Like I say, that's a whole nother case. Totally. Now, on March 14th, an apparent suicide note scrawled in pencil on a bit of paper was found tucked into the shoe in a pile of men's clothing by the ocean's edge at the foot of Breeze Avenue in Venice. The note read, To whom it may concern, I have waited for police to capture me for the Black Dahlia killing, but have not. I am too much of a coward to turn myself in. So this is the best way out for me. I couldn't help myself for that or this. Sorry, Mary. Sorry, Mary? Is yes. that the mom? Or who's Mary? I can't remember who Mary is. We don't know. Oh. The clothing that they found hmm. gave no clues to the identity of the owner and nothing else has ever come of this suicide note. Wow. Okay, there's like so many levels to this. Oh. This is unbelievable. We just getting started. Seriously? Oh, yeah. Okay, because I just feel like we're just like, I don't know. I feel like I'm in like a fucking roller coaster that's just going up and down and over and blah, 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 blah. Oh, and this I'm goes like, what? underground in the sky, like <laughs> to another dimension. Holy crap. Okay. So in the coming weeks, Los Angeles De um, Police Department interviewed over 150 men who they believed to be potential suspects. Wow. And I believe 75 of them were from the address book alone. Jeez. It was from people who knew Elizabeth, names in the address book, or anyone they could link uh, from their investigation. It's a lot of people to have in your address book. I feel like I'd have like five people. Well, back then, though, like <laughs> you don't have like your exactly. contacts, your phone, all that sort of Texting Facebook and, and Instagram. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how you kept the hold of that's anyone. True. That's true. I remember true. growing up, my parents had a little phone index with everyone's numbers and stuff in it. And it's like they had a lot of people in there. Yeah. Like a lot. That's how you remembered. Yeah. yeah. And it could be Are like, you saying your parents are really popular? No, I'm saying my parents are really old. <laughs> like really old. Oh, it will be a while before they listen to this and we'll hear it. Yeah. We'll yeah. hear them comment about this. They'll be even older then. <laughs> um, one of the people they did interview was Robert Manley, who had been one of the last people to see Elizabeth alive. Robert Manley also goes by the name Robert Red Manley, for the record. Okay. Uh, just wanted to throw it out there. I'll be calling him Robert the rest of this. Um, it, he is considered by many to be a prime suspect to this day. Okay. So let's get into this. Their relationship started when Robert struck up a conversation with Elizabeth at a bus station in San Diego. Now, according to Robert, Elizabeth at first kind of just tried to ignore him and brush him off and didn't speak back. But after he kind of persisted, she talked with him and they ended up, you know, kind of striking up a bit of a relationship. And from there, their relationship began to grow and they began platonically seeing each other regularly. Now, Robert was married and Elizabeth had been seeing someone else recently, but still they wouldn't, it wouldn't stop them from going out for dinner and, and enjoying each other's company. Okay. Uh, whenever Robert was in San Diego, uh, he would just go there and enjoy the time with her. Now, this went on over the course of a month or so before one night, Elizabeth called Robert and asked if he could come pick her up. So he did. He picked up Elizabeth and they stayed together in a hotel that night before hitting the road back to Los Angeles. Now, Robert went on record telling this story and specifically said that they stayed that night in the hotel platonically. They are platonic friends. Now, 
Elizabeth wanted Robert to come pick her up because of falling out with her boyfriend. Okay. And at 12.20 p.m. on January 9th, 1947, Elizabeth and Robert left the motel where they spent the night and they drove back to L.A. During the drive, Robert noticed some scratches on Elizabeth's arm and asked about them. She spun a tale of, you know, the intensely jealous boyfriend, uh, an Italian with black hair who lived in San Diego and claimed that it was he who scratched her. They continued the drive where they ended up in L.A. and at the Baltimore Hotel. The main lobby was on Olive Street, directly opposite Pershing Square. Elizabeth thanked Robert for all his help. He was a gentleman and he was a platonic friend. Mm -hmm. Like, sounds like a good friend. Oh, definitely. So far, anyway. Uh, He paid for meals and for the room for her. And then he left her there and took off. That would be, like, pretty hard to... Explain to your wife, though. <laughs> Definitely. Now like, they're a little hard. There, I didn't want to dive into this too much because it was kind of like just excess information that wasn't important. Mm-hmm. But I guess Robert and his wife did have a bit of a rocky kind of marriage sort of thing, but they managed to make it work quite well. And this whole situation kind of brought them a little bit stronger because they were platonic and there was no cheating sort of thing. Yeah. But that's a whole unnecessary right. story. Okay. Uh, so. Robert did leave her there at the Baltimore Hotel at approximately 6.30 p.m. This was the last time Elizabeth was ever seen alive. Why was she dropped off at the hotel? Uh, She needed a place to stay. She was currently living in San Diego with her boyfriend for that month. For some reason, I thought she was in... Okay, I get it. So she was coming back to L.A., right? She had just kind of gone to San Diego for like... I don't know, a couple of weeks sort of thing, and it wasn't working out. So she's heading back to LA. Right. Okay. And so he dropped her off at the hotel to have a place to stay while she gets her shit together sort of thing. Right. So he was pretty much the last person to see Elizabeth alive. Now, Robert, however, was cleared of suspicion after passing numerous volunteer polygraphs. Police also interviewed several people who found, uh, found listed in his address book, including a man by the name of Martin Lewis, who had been an acquaintance of Elizabeth. Martin was able to provide an alibi for the date of Elizabeth's murder as he was in Portland, Oregon, visiting his father-in-law who was dying of kidney failure. Robert, who had been discharged from the army for mental disability, subsequently suffered a series of nervous breakdowns and claimed to be hearing voices. As a result, he was committed to a state hospital by his wife in 1954, and he died on January 16th, 1986. Uh, The coroner um, attributed his death to an accidental fall. And that's Hmm. pretty much that that's the anniversary of when she went missing, actually, or her death when she was found. I believe it was actually January 15th, but he was he died January 16th. So it's like almost to the day, which is kind of kind of crazy. Yeah, no kidding. So by the spring of 1947, Elizabeth's murder had become a cold case with few new leads. Now, one of the lead detectives on the case blamed the press for compromising the investigation through reporters probing of details and unverified reporting. Uh, In September of 1949, the grand jury convened to discuss inadequacies in the LAPD's homicide unit based on their failure to solve numerous murders, especially those of women and children. In the past seven years specifically, and one of those including Elizabeth's. 
in the aftermath of the grand jury, further investigation was done on Elizabeth's past, with detectives tracing her movements between Massachusetts, California, and Florida, and also interviewing people who knew her in Texas and New Orleans. However, the interviews yielded no new useful information in the murders, and the case is left unsolved to this day. That doesn't mean, though, that there aren't theories. And speculation of a lot of these theories are crazy. Like, oh boy, there are theories. Let's just say that. I want to hear them. Okay. Well, let's talk about those theories in part two next week. Mm, I knew that was coming. (laughs) I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. You knew it. So that is the first half of the Black Dahlia case in Elizabeth Short. There has to be some wild theories. Like, I I really want to dive into those, like, right now. There is one main (laughs) theory that is a motherfucking roller coaster. Okay. Well, this whole case is a motherfucking roller coaster. Oh, it is. It definitely is. So, stay tuned for part two coming out next week on Tuesday. Wow. Good work. Thank you. This is interesting. It's quite intense. It's, whew. I got to buckle up like four or five seatbelts just like researching this because, man, it had me going all over the place. Well, yeah, but it seems like it's pretty interesting. It is. But like hard to put all together, too, for sure. Very much so. (laughs) Very much. This was one of the harder cases for me to research because of trying to actually tell a linear story Mm -hmm. is difficult with this case. Yeah. But doing the best we can. And we're going to start talking about those crazy ass stuff next episode. Okay. All right. I'm ready. Thanks for listening, guys. Of course, don't forget to take a look at our social media. We've got our Instagram, our Facebook, all the good stuff. It's all in the description of the podcast. Wherever you're listening, just look at the little description and it's all there. Easy peasy. Website, Insta, even have merch. It's right there. Yeah, right on. Perfect. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you. We'll see you next week. And of course, stay wicked. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.